Hi everybody, this is Dixon. I'm Jose. And welcome to episode 8 of Southwest Side Stories. We're going to be interviewing uh, one of my co-workers. Uh, I've worked with Mr. Hack for a little over five years now. Um, his father was also a teacher uh, here, and he has seen so much of this community uh, grow and learn. Um, so I'm really excited for this interview. This is everything that we were hoping Southwest Stories uh, would be about. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to uh, you know speaking with Mr. Hack. Um, he's a social studies teacher here in uh, Archer Heights. Um, talking about his experience with CPS. Um, and yeah, I just want to reference real quick, we are standing in front of a lovely mural here. And uh, Jose, I don't know, can you tell us a little bit about what we're looking at? So this mural went up um, as uh, the, the pandemic was just starting to hit. Um, so the students that just came back were welcome with this uh, mural that talks a lot about the roots that are being planted here in Archer Heights. Um, that come from all parts of the world and they're immigratory. And uh, it also has a, a, a little poem in Spanish to remind students to appreciate uh, their, their native tongues. Uh, we are an IB school. We're pretty rare in that in the city. Yeah. Well, that's great to see. So I'm looking forward to uh, digging in more, learning about the school culture and learning about what's going on here. In CPS, in what is, you know, I imagine a pretty challenging year, but, uh, you know, regaining our footing and uh, seeing what's going on here on the southwest side. Okay, so we're here at uh, Edwards Elementary in Archer Heights with yes. Mr. Hack um, and excited to hear your story. Um, so I wonder if you could start by just telling us a little bit about you know, how you came to teach here and how you came to teach in general? Sure. So um, I began teaching here at Edwards Elementary School in 1999, January 1999. I had spent the previous seven or so years in the suburbs. Um, teaching, teaching elementary or middle school really wasn't in the grand plan. I was uh, planning on being high school and only high school. And as it turned out, I uh, had an opportunity to come here for a, uh, a medical leave. And I remember after I did the five months of uh, leave, the principal had found out that she was uh, the lady that I was filling in for wasn't going to come back. And I remember specifically asking me, if I hire you for this position, are you going to stay? And well, that was 20 years ago, so <laughs> I'm still here. And um, basically, uh, this was a, a great move for me. Um, one of the things that I definitely recognize is the ability to reach kids at this age is much more effective than in high school. Um, you can still reach kids in high school, but it's much more difficult because they've already built an identity and you have to break through that identity, whereas these kids are just basically forming their identity still. So um, I enjoy being here and doing what, uh, what I do. Uh, I have a degree in history, and that's what I've been teaching here uh, for the last 21 years. I've been teaching U.S. and world uh, civilizations. So my degree is actually in 
history and I went back and, and got my certification. I always had planned to get my certification. Um, I just kind of did things backwards because my big thing was I wanted to be as much of an expert in my content as possible. Whereas a lot of people go get a certificate to teach and then they kind of get into this or that, but they don't really delve into their content as much. Mm -hmm. So um, I went that route and uh, I've basically taught sixth, seventh or eighth grade for the last 21 years. When I was a kid, everybody in the community knew their teachers mm -hmm. and those teachers stayed for long periods of time. Now, obviously, if a teacher is not very good, you may not want that. But if you have good teachers, you clearly want them to stay because it builds identity for the community. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one of the things I feel is always happening in CPS is there's a, the, the turnover is just very dramatic either with people leaving teaching in general, finding a, what they may feel is a better school, or moving up, taking administrative positions. And, you know, you get a lot of turnover in, in the staffs. And uh, I've just made a commitment that I was going to stay here. So, yeah. And I'm sure over the course of 20 years, you've had situations where you know, certainly you have younger siblings of students that you have oh, before. Oh, I have now. I have children. I have many, yeah. actually, which, uh, tear, yeah. uh, that, that I um, taught, and now I've had, I'm have i having their children mm -hmm. in, in middle school, which yeah. means it's been a while. Been, <laughs> so yeah. mm -hmm. it's a bizarre feeling, but it's also kind of nice because you have this, you know, the, the people are still here. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, some of the some of these people, you know, they're they're not living with their parents in the community. They've actually bought it and are living in their own places in the community. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the traditional view of everyone trying to move out and leave isn't necessarily true. You seem to have like two, two kind of main interests. There's education mm -hmm. and there's um, and there's history. So right. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about. Your decision to go into education and then the subject matter that you wanted to Sure. Focus on. So my father, uh, he was a CPS teacher. Um, he started in the mid-1960s at Gary and Marquette Elementary Schools. He eventually, in the mid-70s, he uh, became a teacher here at Edwards. And, uh, you know, I always... Um, Admired my father, obviously, for, uh, you know, the things that he was doing. And some of that was instilled in me, you know, as, as time went by as a, as a younger uh, person. And um, my father, he taught history also. He was a history buff. He loved, you know, he loved history. He loved everything about uh, all histories. And, you know, there was a lot of uh, documentaries and stuff, you know, at home. <laughs> So uh, it just was something that became a part of me um, just from natural uh, interest, but also more or less being introduced to all of those things, you know, from him. Mm -hmm. So um, when it came time for me, I always wanted to be a National Geographic photographer. Mm -hmm. As a child, that was my dream. And I later found out, obviously, that not very many photographers get to do that. Yeah. So by the time I was a junior in high school, I had pretty much decided that I was going to uh, be a teacher. So 
Yeah. Did Did you have the whole uh, bookshelf of National Geographic's? Oh yeah. As a kid, yeah. The the kids' versions and well, uh -huh. the cool thing is my dad used to go to. Um, my dad was really big into antiques and collecting old stuff. You know, National Geographic goes back to the nineteen hundred early early nineteen hundreds, yeah. and uh, he used to be able to find those things for like nothing, mm -hmm. boxes full. So I had in my bookcase like National Geographic's from nineteen thirty. Yeah, you know, and just all the cool stuff that was in them, and so yeah, I had all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, um, you know, you talk about uh, history as a subject. So, when you have students who you know start in your class mm -hmm. at the beginning of the year, right? What is it that you just hope to impress upon them? What do you want them to leave your class with at the end of the year? Well, for perp my my purpose is. What I feel is that they should leave here with a baseline that's going to be developed and added to. Um, clearly, we hope that our kids are going to be interested in, in, in intellectual things beyond their time here. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, it's not always that way, but a high percentage of the time it is. Uh, I don't bog my students down in a lot of detail. Because I feel that that, and this is from trial and error over 29 years of uh, teaching high school and, and middle school, they, I think in history what happens sometimes is a person is a geek about history themselves, mm -hmm. and then they lose track of the fact that these kids are not. Yeah. And, and you might get one or two that are, mm -hmm. but for the most part, you need to hook them without all of the doldrums of tedium, all the facts, mm -hmm. all that kind of thing. And so as time has gone by, as the years have passed, I have refined what I teach to what I feel is the most essential and really hit them with those things and make sure that they go out of here with that baseline. Mm -hmm. um, if kids are going to go to a selective enrollment high school, if they're going to go to Curie, they're going to get into an IB program, you know, I'm hoping that I'm instilling an interest without killing them with boredom. Mm -hmm. If I can instill an interest in them and get them to be inquiring about these things, they're going to add all that stuff later. Mm -hmm. You know, and what I noticed is when, from my own experience when I was in school, you know, a lot of teachers, they loved history. And, but they loved every little tiny little detail, and they wanted you to love all those details too. Right. And lots of kids just was like, mm -hmm. turn off the, the brain and disengage. Yeah. Because it's just too much for especially, a, you know, a 13-year-old. It just can be overwhelming. So my approach is to try to get them to go out of here with some baseline, um, hard, cold, you know, pro thought processes about government about culture, about, you know, just some of the bigger ideas and then let them move on from there. And, and a lot of kids, you know, once they get an interest in it, they research on their own. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have many students who have gone off from a lecture that I've given and then have come back with all this stuff. Like, and of course they have it way easier than we did because yeah. I'd have to go to the might have to convince my mom to drive me to the public library. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, they just go home. And um, 
So, you know, it, it, it does really inspire in a lot of them that inquisitive nature to find out more. So. Yeah. That's an interesting point because when you started teaching and certainly when you were in school, mm -hmm. you would have to go to the library. Oh, you would have to. I tell them. I tell these kids that stuff all the yeah. time. I'm like, you guys, you do not. <laughs> you don't understand looking through the card catalog and trying to find the book on the shelf. I'm like, that's all we had. We didn't have a database with computers and such, you know, and now you have Google, you just throw something in there and yeah. you can go on YouTube and find a thousand videos to teach you about anything you want to find, you know? Yeah. So yeah, things are a lot different. I try to explain to them that, you know, they really have it. Uh, they have it lucky. Yeah. You know, they're very lucky to be and but, than to use it for that, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and they've so. got to be wary too because there's a lot of misinformation oh, out yeah. there too. So. And that's a big thing that we work on here. Um, one of the things, if you see behind us, we have uh, History Fair projects. Uh, we take kids down to Springfield every year. They compete. Uh, we've, have ki we've had kids go to the Nationals for History Fair. Um, and a big part of that is trying to explain to them what is believable and what isn't. Mm -hmm. You know, and trying to filter through the things that are they're being told that potentially are being slant, slanted one way or another because of personal in, views or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they have to be very careful about that. And that was something. But, you know, honestly, we had the same problem. Sure. Yeah. Which is we didn't know it. Yeah. I mean, our problem was textbooks mm -hmm. that were being written as fact. And not necessarily always being written to you know, persuade you to believe a certain thing, but just because sometimes the people that were writing the textbooks didn't know, you know, they, they, their understanding of the past wasn't that good themselves. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, you know, then we learn things. I, I'm always telling my students, you know, hey, when I was a kid, we were taught that this guy was this, 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 and this. Mm -hmm. And that was hard, cold facts that we, nobody questioned. Yeah. And so we didn't have any reason to think like, oh, wait a minute, you know, now you got all of these different viewpoints coming at you and, and you're, but it's good because it's, it's exposing things that in the past, maybe we weren't aware of, mm -hmm. but at the same time, you have to be very careful about what is this person trying to get me to believe? You know, mm -hmm. do they have an agenda beyond truth? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and that is the most important thing in history is just factual, truthful evidence. Um, and, and allowing people to make their own judgments about what they, they, they see as, as fact. So I want to talk a little bit about, you know, we're, we're here in the present day. Mm -hmm. um, we're still in the middle of the COVID pandemic. Uh -huh. Yes. Um, and the last, you know, year and a half plus have mm -hmm. been a really big adjustment, especially in education. So yes. talk a little bit about, you know, just how you adjusted practically, and then also, you know, you're teaching history, you're teaching social studies, all of a sudden there's something that kids are living through, that we're all yes. living through, that history books will be talking about a right. hundred years from now. In fact, so. the one project that's right here behind us is the 1918 Spanish flu epidemic, mm -hmm. pandemic, um, which wasn't really a Spanish flu at all. And the kids had a lot of fun actually finding out those things mm -hmm. and finding out that the uh, Spanish flu actually more than likely started here mm -hmm. in the United States. 
So, um, you know, I've taught them that, you know, these things that you're seeing here on these, on these displays a hundred years from now, kids are making displays about you, mm -hmm. you know, like you've actually done history and you've done things that no other people have done before learning for over a year without coming into a school building that hasn't been attempted, you know, to, to, to carry on the learning process. You know, kids have been, you know, schools have been shut and kids have been sent home, and, but the learning process dies. But here, for the first time in history, we attempted to continue the process without, you know, without the kids being in front of us. So mm -hmm. that is all. And, and when, you, when you point that out to students, they sometimes are awakened to that idea. They're mm -hmm. kind of like, you're right. Yeah. I didn't think of that. And I said, well, you know, when you're 50 years old and you have grandchildren potentially, you know, they're going to ask you from their homework, mm -hmm. you know, how did you uh, handle this? And you are a source. You are a source to explain to others what you went through and what you felt and such. Yeah. So from that aspect, uh, you know, definitely trying to get the kids to understand that. But my experience with and this is going to be potentially unpopular with some people but i'm going to truthfully talk about how i felt um i don't feel that and, and, and because of my experiences and what i what i personally witnessed and personally um went through the kids who wanted to learn this learning gap thing in in this setting in here now maybe it's different in other places but the kids who wanted to learn and wanted to engage, I believe they may have even learned more than if they had been here. Um, the ones who did not fare as well are people who were not putting that, I don't want to say effort because it's not always effort, but um, they weren't putting all of what they had into trying their best to continue with learning. And I 100% understand and agree, you know, that this was tragic and I don't know what's happening inside of your home. I don't know what's going on with your family. I don't know how it, you know, we've had, we had students who lost, who lost parents. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, if a, if a child is AWOL for a month, you know, you can't pass judgment. But unfortunately, there were also people who were taking advantage of that and just not you know, we had a lot of kids logging in and then they weren't there. They were there for attendance, but they weren't there engaging at all. So I, I really feel like, you know, the, the, those who were able to continue to focus on the importance of doing the best, whatever that was, you know, whatever the, under these circumstances, whatever the best was, um, I think that they did fine. And I really think like at the kids that I had last year, they're in eighth grade now. And I know for a fact that a large percentage of them learned exactly what they should have and were supposed to. And I've had kids come and tell me like at the end of the school year last year, you know, Mr. Hack, we learned a lot this year. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, yeah. I'm glad to hear that, yeah. you know, because if they're recognizing it, then, um, you know, that, that gives me insight into whatever we were attempting to do, you know, that it was working.
you know, then there's this year, of course. Right. So you come back in person mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. in the fall, and uh, school has been, you know, back in person for, for a, a little bit now. Yep. I wonder if you can talk about, you know, how that's going and how sure. that adjustment has been. Well, I, I see a large majority of the students are thrilled to be back. Um, you know, there's so many aspects of school that um, just you can't do over a computer. I always worried that certain political forces in our country were going to push for a cheaper way to do education and wouldn't it be great if every kid could just log into their computer at home and you know we pay some corporation to put the curriculum together and they all get the same lesson and all that wouldn't that be great you could just save so many tax dollars and all of the this exposed that that should never happen because there are too many now there'll be some psychopaths that are going to scream and yell and disagree with me but um and yes, I call you psychopaths. That's my right. Uh, people don't know me. I play a lot, so. <laughs> uh, but there's too many things that go on here beyond education, you know. And you know, the kids are really starving for that. They're starving for the extracurriculars. They're starving for the social interaction. Um, that's the place that I worry about the kids regressing. Mm -hmm. I'm not worried about them regressing in, oh, did they, did they lose in reading? Did they lose in math? My concern is, did they lose in their social interactions? And I'm not talking about just hanging out with friends. I'm talking about understanding how to behave around people, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and not necessarily in a, in a frame of mind where it's like, oh, misbehaving or not. I'm talking about just how to... How do you act? How do you interact with people? Mm -hmm. For the last 16, 17 months, you've been interacting pretty much with your family and you haven't. And so we have a group of kids right now who the last time they were in the school building full time was fifth grade. Yeah. They're seventh graders. They've gone through a big change of life mm -hmm. in which they would have normally figured that stuff out with each other, mm -hmm. but here they're tossed back into this pool with a totally changed dynamic. Mm -hmm. You know, last time when they were with each other, they were pretty much little kids, you know, and now they're adolescents and they've gone through that phase without really interacting. So from that, at that point of view, the kids are, are really, really eager and, and happy to be here. Um, you know, the academic side of things, this is better. This is obviously better. The one thing that I definitely can do here is I can make sure that a kid is listening. I can make sure that a kid is getting something. I can question a child much easier just in the hallway even. Whereas when we were on a Zoom meeting or a Google, Google Meets, um, yeah, you can do it. But it's a lot more awkward. It, I didn't really like to call out kids on that format. Mm -hmm. because it really puts them on the spot, whereas, you know, you, you, you could embarrass somebody. Um, you know, old school approach would be like, well, if they get embarrassed, who cares? You know, toughen up, get over it. But that could really shut a kid off to education mm -hmm. in, in general. 
you know, one bad experience where maybe maybe they do pay attention most of the time, but that one time they got called out and they didn't really, you know, have the answer, couldn't make a kid just, you know, like a turtle, just mm -hmm. regress back into their shell and not want to adventure out there again. So um, this this setting is definitely a lot better and yeah. it's it's going good. You know, before we wrap up, I wanted to also ask about, you know, the community that we're in and mm -hmm. the school that we're in. Um, and, you know, you've been here a long time. Right. Um, this is a, a building, mm -hmm. you know, with a good amount of history. Oh, like yeah. a lot of CPS schools, it's been around for, sure. for many decades. Yes. I wonder if you have any impressions about, you know, the history of the school, the history of sure. Archer Heights and the Southwest Side. Sure. So, you know, I, um, my family was Southsiders, city people. Um, I personally grew up in the suburbs uh, after my family could afford to move. Um, but my father being somebody who worked at the school, I, I came to the school when I was a little kid. You know, I, I recall the gym and the library and all those things. And then now I'm working here and it's very bizarre sometimes mm -hmm. to think about, you know, what my experiences were as a five-year-old compared to, you know, well, I don't want to say how old I am, but yes. Um, and so, you know, it's it's changed in many ways, but in, in other ways, it really hasn't. Um, the school was opened in 1924. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one of the things about the school is the, the windows. When my father was teaching here in the 80s, they didn't have air conditioning. Mm -hmm. And the windows were still the same windows they had when they built the school. Mm -hmm. which were these big giant windows that opened and because there was no air conditioning they had to have the windows open when it was hot out to get airflow and back in that time you know they were still landing prop planes at midway mm -hmm. and we are right in the flight pattern yep but back in those days every two minutes they had to stop yeah teaching because these prop planes would fly right over to the top of the school and they were so loud that you couldn't even hear yourself. Mm -hmm. So when Midway switched over to taking commercial jets and such, you know, they put in the, uh, in the mid nineties, they put in the, uh, the soundproof windows and uh, they're pretty soundproof. I mean, they, we don't have to disrupt any, anything really because of the, the mm -hmm. flight patterns, but that's just one example of, you know, how over time um, things have changed. Another thing though, is that the school has just grown. Um, when I first started working here, we had three grade, three homerooms per grade level, and now we're at five or six. Yeah. So we've pretty much doubled. Um, Edwards Elementary School is routinely in the top three elementary schools for the entire city of Chicago, uh, the biggest elementary schools. Mm -hmm. um, we are basically continuously fluctuating with pack and past year, but this entire area, mm -hmm. the three top elementary schools is are all in this area. Yeah. So um, it just shows that the community is thriving and that, you know, it, it, it is, um, it's just building, it's just, you know, continuing to, to, to grow. And, um, you know, this community around here is gonna be here for a very long time. All right, I thought that was a really good interview. I had a good time meeting up with Mr. Hack and getting to see Edwards Elementary on the inside. 
um, learning a little bit about his experience as a teacher there. Um, what were some things that jumped out to you about the interview, Jose? Um, you know, I thought it was great, um, you know, hearing Mr. Hack just kind of like share so much of like his time at Edwards. Um, I thought his, some of his insights, you know, were really on point. I really appreciate what he had to share about learning loss personally. You know, I think that the students that engage with the material that was presented to them online probably got the most out of a lot of their school material than they might have in a while. However, um, you know, it's not that the students that weren't uh, weren't learning, you know, uh, students today are still using a lot of the online tools that they were using during um, quarantining and they're using it uh, seamlessly. And we're picking up, um, I don't know, I think I really like the way he uh, was able to describe the, the learning process and where he picks up on it. Um, I think educators, you know, uh, seasoned and, and new can appreciate, uh, you know, his take on the elasticity of a student's mind and the way that they're still been learning, you know, during this time, uh, whether it's a bunch of historical facts or whether it's just how to be um, effectively engaged with their classmates uh, online. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, definitely an extremely online generation. We know that, um, and even more so since COVID began. Um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting from the interview was we touched a little bit about, um, you know, the fact that a lot of us have so much information at our fingertips now on our phones or on our web browsers. You know, we look something up on Google. Um, and along with that, you have to be careful of, you know, are you getting information from reliable sources? Are you seeking out information that just kind of confirms what you want to believe or you already believe? Um, are, are you genuinely being curious about, you know, trying to learn something? So it's interesting to have to navigate all of that for anybody, but especially for kids, middle school students, you know, and really being thrown in the deep end um, since COVID began and so much learning became, you know, online exclusive. So I thought that was an interesting subject to just uh, kind of think about. Yeah, you know, and, and it's one that preoccupies parents and, and educators alike. And, and how do you navigate that, you know, with, uh, with Google's best policies, best practices, you know, in and, and the classroom? Like, um, I really appreciated, you know, Mr. Hack bringing it back down to like the community schooling model and the fact that, you know, he's a rare example, maybe in the city nowadays, um, it's something that maybe we should really be the norm again is, and, you know, a teacher being a fixture of the community that they teach in, that they serve in, you know, and it seems like every experiment with education uh, tries to challenge that very notion. Um, but it's here he is, you know, like in the digital age when these kids don't know what the best practices to do online are. Um, you know, even someone that might not totally get all of the online tools is a, you know, someone that they rely on for advice, uh, you know, that because their parents have, because their par their siblings have, and that definitely makes a difference um, in a community. Yeah, for sure. Um, and having, you know, having an educator who's been there for, for decades um, and has some history and familiarity with the neighborhood is is, is pretty invaluable. So we want as much of that in our schools as we can get, obviously. 
So before we uh, conclude, I just want to give a quick shout out. Um, you know, no real easy way to transition to this, but um, the Chicago Sky did win the uh, WNBA championship um, yesterday, uh, which would be uh, uh, Sunday, October 17th. Um, my wife and daughter and I were at the game on Friday, which was uh, a blowout win for the Sky. It was sold out. It was loud. It was great to see everybody so enthusiastic, and it was the first uh, professional sports championship for the city since the Cubs won in 2016. Um, so a five-year gap, but uh, great to see Candace Parker come home um, to Chicago and win a championship in her first season with the Sky. Um, and I'm just going to put up this uh, this towel that we got at the uh, at the game. It says Chicago Sky WNBA Finals 2021. Uh, they gave it to us to, you know, wave above our heads. Um, and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. So, uh, you know, they're not, <laughs> um, they're not giving us any money or anything, but I think supporting women's professional sports, uh, I advocate for everybody to go out. Um, it's, um, you know, it's, it's a really good time. The stadium is relatively close. If you live on the Southwest side, it's just off the, uh, Cermak exit on 55 takes us about 10 maybe 15 minutes to get to the game so convenient and fun and the 2022 season can't come soon enough 